Hello, my name is Matthew Gao. I am 23 years old. I'm an Asian American who was born in Minnesota, but grew up in Canada when my parents moved there to start a church. I have three older sisters who I am extremely close to, and I'm currently living in Minnesota as a data analyst for a digital media agency called Ovative. I've been a Christian my whole life, and I love and respect my dad a ton, who has 30 years of experience uh, in the ministry as a church planter and as a pastor. Um, I guess this podcast is a way of me wanting to be very, very intentional with learning from him about the ministry, especially because I know that one day I want to be in the ministry as well as a church planter. My hope for this podcast is that it's a place where I can ask my dad about different topics, especially uh, through the lens of a Christian life and through the local church. One thing that I want to be very clear about is I want to be extremely biblically based. I think my generation uh, gets caught up in opinions and preferences and gets very heated with their feelings, but I want to be very intentional to use the word to set the standard against which we are creating our lifestyle around. Um, as of right now, I've, I'm not sure how formal this is going to be, and so this is going to be a little bit of an experiment between my dad and I to just riff, go back and forth, talk about different topics loosely. We do have a direction we want to go in. Um, like for today, the topic we'll be talking about is um, Christ-centered community. What does that look like? How, what does the Bible say about it? Um, what action should we be taking? And that's basically as planned as it is. I have like secondary and tertiary questions surrounding that topic. Um, but it will be a lot of just back and forth um, with my dad. Um, so dad, if you have anything that you would like to say just before we kick off the discussion, um, go for it. Yeah, no, thanks, Matt, for the introduction. Looking forward to having our discussion together and hopefully it'll be a benefit to your listeners. Cool. Yeah, so with that said, dad, like generally, what would you say um, Christian life uh, Christian community or Christ-centered community looks like, especially for someone at my age, let's say someone who is post-college, um, is connected to a local church, um, like what would that ideal community look like? What do you think the Bible says about that community? Should it be coming from a local church? Um, should it be coming from the workplace? Uh, how much effort should be put into looking for community in a local church? Is it something that do you think my generation chooses not to look uh, enough in through the local church? Um, obviously, there's a lot to unpack there. Anyway, a any angle you'd like to take, go for it. <laughs> yeah, that was a very <laughs> large question with a lot of different parts to it. I guess maybe the thing that comes to me first is how consumer orientated our people are with regard to community. And it's very much focused around what can I get out of it? How will it mm. meet my needs? Yeah. And so when you build <clears throat> your expectations around your needs, then it definitely influences your behavior. It influences what you want to get out of it or what you're putting into it. And we are, particularly as Americans, we're living in a very market-driven, ad-driven, image-driven, needs-driven culture. Uh, when I was growing up, <clears throat> the idea of brand was always around a corporation, but now we've moved to a place of branding yourself, you becoming a influencer, you becoming a company, you becoming a brand, even so much so that college athletes now have NILs that they will use to decide what college to go to. So everything about the culture reinforces you at the center. And I think the biblical concept of community, among many, many things, is the idea of what can you bring to the community to add to that group of people. Wow. And in addition to that, the highest value is what can I do to bring, what can I bring to this community that will bring glory to God? How can I live out the call and destiny that's on me through a group of people that will encourage me in that and how I can 
serve and encourage those people in the community as well. So that would just be a first blush, but there's so much to explore in that question. Uh, maybe the other thing that comes to mind is when you talk about community, there's immediately reference points that goes up in our head. Uh, community in the broadest sense of the word could be the baseball team you're on. Uh, it could be your college fraternity that you're in. It could be the cycling club that you're on on the weekends. <coughs> or it could be that spiritual picture of church. And even then, if someone has a picture of church in their head, it may not be perfectly aligned with the biblical picture. Um, of course, there's no perfect church. But if one is pursuing to make a church uh, a key part of their life, obviously you want that church to reflect as much as possible the kind of biblical community that we see written about in the scriptures, namely because that community will bring the most life, it'll bring the most joy, it'll bring the most effectiveness, it'll bring the most glory to God. So that may sound like a tall order, but if we get into the weeds, we'll find out that the grace of God enables us to have a very vibrant community without it becoming this legalistic, gymnastic kind of ritual that we have to go through um, to be part of something that's really dynamic and exciting. Yeah, so much to unpack there. Um, I think even your very first sentence, it's almost breaking down like my, my generation's perspective towards community, which is very selfish. It's about me. It's about what can I get from this community? Like if I'm going to a gym membership or I'm going to do some sort of class or whatever it is, it's like, what can I get out of it? But the Bible really flips on, it, on its head and says, no, like you're meant to be serving in this community. You're meant to be serving. And I <clears throat> like, I think that's a completely different paradigm change for me because I, I do fall into that like selfishness of like, what am I getting out of this community or even friendship? I think it's, I think that's another uh, subtopic, I guess, within community, like, at, um, it, like, what would distinct, distinguishing factors be in friendship and in community? Um, but that's maybe a question that we'll save for a little bit later down uh, in this conversation. Um, one thing that I do want to ask and look for a little bit more clarity in um, is the idea, uh, at the very end, you kind of talked about, like, the grace of God and it being like a tall order. So <clears throat> I think when I, when I am thinking of finding community, I think part of the reason why there is that uh, part of selfishness, it's like, I want it to be a place where I can kind of let my hair down. Like I, I can really be myself. I don't have to worry about putting on any sort of front or anything like that. But I think um, when the idea of serving comes into it, it's almost like work. It's like you're having to do something, you're having to actively think about it, whereas a community is more a place where you kind of think of like relaxing. So I think that might, that's my question is how do, you, how do you find that kind of grace that you were mentioning, that grace from God in that community? And like, what does it mean practically to fall under that grace and be able to put yourself in that mindset of serving without like uh, feeling like you're always having to work when you're in a community? Yeah, those are great questions. And, and I just want to clarify that when we think about, so let's say, selecting a church in this example, I'm not saying that you completely disregard what you want to get out of that community, that you completely disregard the things that you want to see fulfilled in your life. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm making a commentary just that sometimes we solely base our decisions on it. And it's really an issue of the heart because God, of course, wants us to go to a place where we're gonna get fed, we're gonna get nurtured, we're gonna get um, that kind of challenge that we need to grow in our walk with God. So it's, it's really an issue of the heart. And I would say that selecting a community, again, in this case, a church, is about a prayer process in which you're aimed at being obedient to God. For example, um, when I went to graduate school, uh, which was at the University of Minnesota, mm. I was excited to find a on-fire, spirit-filled church. And I ended up going to 
a Chinese church that was non-charismatic and preached against some of the most treasured doctrines that I believed in, which is the person of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the activity of the Holy Spirit. So in that sense, it would not have matched what I wanted in that church, but I felt distinctly as I prayed that God mm -hmm. wanted to me to be in that church, yeah. to contribute to that church, and out of that obedience flows grace. Yeah. So if you know that God is calling you to do something, He will always give you the grace, He will give you the patience, if yeah. endurance is needed, He'll give you all those things to fall in love with that place. Now, it doesn't mean that it's going to be just a bed of roses and that everything's great. Just like in every relationship, there's always things that are not ideal, but there is still an excitement to be in that relationship because you know that you're called to it. So likewise, if you know that you're called to that church, God will fill you with yeah. what you need to be a, a you know integral part of that community. And that's where the grace comes in. It's just not gritting your teeth and pulling yourself up by the bootstraps in order to make it work. Yeah, I think that idea of connecting prayer and obedience and grace into community and its importance in community, again, um, is something that <clears throat> I, I just feel like I don't think about enough when I look for community, especially that idea of obedience of like, there's, there's kind of like your preferences and what you bring to the Lord and a level of obedience that I think is its own conversation of like, um, God, where do you want me to go? And kind of laying your heart before him and then being able to sense, okay, there's a certain level of peace I have about being in this church. And, and in your example, you talked about a church where it may not fit a lot of your natural preferences, but you had that, I, that peace from the Lord that was really, that you were coming under in obedience. And that's where that grace comes from. Now, do you think that that level of um, intentionality before the Lord and in prayer should be applied to every community that you're part of. Something you were saying like, um, I can't remember the, the examples that you gave, but something like um, like a workout class or something like um, like a book club. I don't know, like mm -hmm. any, any other community that you're a part of, do you think that level of intentionality is required? Is that, do you think that we should have that kind of like posture before going into a community? Um, yes and no. I, I think that the most important community we can have as Christians is our faith community because that mm. speaks and that nurtures the core identity of who we are. If your primary community is the bike club that you're on the weekends and you don't have a church to go to, you will weaken as a Christian. Mm. And that's not even close to being an equivalent community for you. Now, you may say, I have so much fun with my friends. We can joke. We can let our hair down and talk to one another and I have more authenticity and transparency in my biking club than I do at church. Unfortunately, that is too true. Yeah. But your biking buddies cannot reveal the truth of God to you. Wow. They cannot be preaching the gospel to you. They yeah. cannot be challenging in your faith. That's right. So you're always in that sense living off a substitute hmm. and the things that you are experiencing do mirror what community should be like. And unfortunately, too much of that is exhibited <clears throat> or experienced in other, you know, let's say special interest groups that we might be involved in. So as it regards our spiritual community, we have to have the highest level of intentionality and prayer mm -hmm. and being led by the Holy Spirit, because that's where you're going to be built up in your walk with God. In terms of, do you apply that same intentionality towards, you know, should I be in a rock climbing club or should <laughs> yeah. I be in a you know, a gaming <clears throat> online chat club or whatever it might be. Um, I say yes and no because part of enjoying life that God has given us is to just be in those things. Yeah. On the other hand, because we're also walking with God, he may He may give us a, a, an unsettledness or as we like to say, he may check us and say, oh no, you really shouldn't do that. Mm. So there are some dangers that we don't see that may mm. be around the corner. Right. I'm using a very sort of just simplistic illustration. Mm -hmm. Let's say you want to be involved in a gaming community and you feel like, boy, I just don't have a piece about doing that. 
you don't know why God is not giving you peace, but if you press through, maybe because it leads to a kind of addiction or it leads to some kind of darkness in your life. So that's where, yeah, we have a kind of freedom to pursue those communities, but also just as a normal course of walking with God, mm-hmm. we always have to be testing it, that against that peace that, that God gives us. Yeah, I think, I think that really answers my question pretty well uh, in, ta- in terms of like, what does it mean to look for a Christian community? What does it look like in the local capacity? And then what does it look like, as you were saying, just like in rock climbing or gaming community or things like that, where you are just looking for fun, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, just to mm-hmm. laugh and just to hang out. And right. um, I think that, yeah, I think especially being in a po- like being a postgraduate, um, being somebody who my, my personal community mostly comes from my roommates. Um, and that's where I see um, like my roommates are kind of pouring into me. They're all very strong Christians. And basically, um, that's just where a lot of where I'm filled up and also where I just get to laugh a lot. Um, I think for people who don't really have that, um, they don't have those like really close relationships with friends who are also Christians. Um, I think that gives a better framework for what it looks like to find it. And I think it's almost like at the beginning, you talked about how people use these more casual groups of rock climbing, video game, whatever, whatever discord, whatever group there or community you're talking about as a substitute for where they should be getting true community, I think is a huge, I don't, I don't know if I want to use the word issue because I, I think that, um, I think that my, I mean, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly where that desire may come from, um, or just the fact that they're like looking for a Christian community and not able to find it. Cause there's so many factors in like, how hard do they try? Are they really praying about it? Are they looking at it? And, um, yeah, I guess like what advice would you have for somebody who has, really looked for a Christian community or has been quote unquote church shopping and has not been able to find what they're looking for. They feel like God have prayed so much and I just, am, I haven't found my people, whether it be in a college uh, setting or it may be post-college. And it's like, man, I've just been here for so long and I just don't have people that I can be real with that I click with both spiritually or naturally. Um, what kind of advice would you give? Yeah, that's a very good question and a tough question because I think there are a lot of young people that are in flux and they are genuinely desirous of being part of a good church but can't seem to find it. I think number one, you have to be as aware as possible of your wants and needs and to not be driven by that. On the other hand, to also be driven by it because, you know, you want your spiritual walk with God to, um, to flourish and to grow. But what comes to me is that find one thing that really makes you excited. And you you could end up joining the church for that one thing. And the other things may not be ideal. But for you, let's, okay, let's say your one thing could be, let's say, the children's ministry. Because you absolutely love serving children. Okay, and maybe the worship is horrible, or the pastor is grouchy, and the people are outside of your age group. But you just have so much joy in that children's ministry. Yeah. Or... It could be, and this is typical, you absolutely love the, the teaching at that church, but the worship is bad and you're, let's say you're just getting married and the young couple's ministry is very weak, Yeah. <clears throat> but you have that one thing that you're holding on to that gives you life. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that's not ideal. What's ideal is that everything about the church makes you excited yeah. from the moment you walk in the door to, right. to the time you leave. Right. And I would say in general, most churches are checking two, three, four boxes. For every single person 
But if it comes down to one single box that you have to check, then know what that box is mm. and get that from the Lord. I think in talking about this whole conversation, something that I'm realizing, even like literally just in the middle of this conversation, is that I think a lot of people are just looking for friendships and community. Mm-hmm. Like beyond anything else, it's like, I just want a friend. Like I just want someone who understands me, who I can laugh with, who I can have inside jokes with, somebody that is like a companion. And I think that, do you think that is a, a, I guess, poor motivation for looking at church? Is that the right lens to have? Like, I don't know if it's necessarily right to use the word lens because it might be pretty self subconscious. Um, do you think like, do you think that perspective of having that quote unquote looking for a friend um, is negative or like how do you go about that in a way that is God glorifying or I guess in prayer, like how would you approach that? Yeah, I don't think that's wrong at all. I think that's generally how we make decisions. We all have something that we want to get out of a a community. (coughs) The key is that you allow God to veto or override that desire if he leads you to a church that doesn't meet that need. So, and he may not override. And I, I think that what you're pointing out there is that there's a tremendous amount of loneliness yeah, that's out absolutely. there. There's a lack of sense of connection. Mm. COVID has not helped. Right. Remote working doesn't help. Hybrid setup doesn't help. And so we feel very, very isolated. And we just want solid, human, authentic interaction with another human being. Right. So I think that that's a yearning that actually comes from God. And and wow. he wants to fulfill that. He wants to fulfill those desires for being able to let your hair down, to know someone and to be known. Totally. But I would what I've seen a trend happen in this area is that people get so fixed on finding those groups that will meet their needs, they forget the idea that they're also called to be the answer to someone else's (laughs) prayer. Wow, yeah. Right, you're wanting your prayers to be answered, but you're also called to be someone else's prayer. And when it comes to friendship, we all have felt the extreme blessing of someone reaching out to us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know of a single person (laughs) that is not blessed when someone invites them out, hey, you wanna go out for lunch? Hey, you wanna go out to a movie? You just immediately felt included. Mm -hmm. You feel like you're wanted, you feel like you're accepted. So you may walk into a situation and you think, oh, no one's reaching out to me, or no one said hi. Yeah, that could be very well true. But is there someone that you're drawn to? And maybe you can take one or two steps to see if something will ignite. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, do you want to go to a movie? You be that first mover and see if something happens. Yeah. So it's definitely an iterative process. But again, just to be very mindful that we're not sitting there hoping someone will pluck us <laughs> out of the crowd and just make us feel like we're the most important person in the world. That yeah. that doesn't happen that often. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think I think it's extremely important to highlight that one piece, that friendship is a God-given yearning. Yeah. And I think that's something that I think you just get a, did a great job of, of sharing. Um, I think how people feel in terms of friendships. And I think... I I have, I don't think I've ever thought about like me being that person for somebody else, Mm. like me being someone else's answer to prayer about friendship. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a great way to start thinking about, um, or start thinking through that lens in a way that doesn't necessarily drain you. I think I'm very fortunate to have friends who are extremely thoughtful and extremely careful, uh, super caring and I've had conversations with some of them about them actually feeling very burnt out because they're constantly giving out because they're pouring out to others and they're not being as poured into Mm -hmm. themselves Mm -hmm. and that is that's an unfortunate reality for some Um, but I think that's a great reminder for us ourselves to say no like I'm also like that's my role. My role is also to be a good friend, to reach out, to call, to call someone. Just like, how are you doing? Um, and just 
yeah, I think in, in some, even in some ways, like, like paying for their meal or just like mm-hmm. showing them how much yeah. they mean to them using your words, using your actions. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, I really wanted to call that out. Mm-hmm. That's that's good. The the power of an invite is understated and underrated. Yes. Because it creates such an emotional trigger in the right sense of the word. Right. We tend to think about emotional triggers in the negative, yeah. but there's also emotional triggers in the positive. Yes. So when you walk into a community or a church and someone reaches out to you and shows interest in you, that creates this feeling inside that's very powerful. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Very, very cool. I want to pivot a little bit directly to the word because, again, that was one of the things that I wanted to be very intentional about this. And so when I think about uh, biblical friendships, I think of like Jonathan and David. Um, When I think about community, I kind of think of like Acts 2. Um, What kind of like things, like we both have our Bibles very near us. uh, but is there anything that you would like to draw out from those passages or from other presses in the Bible where you're like, this is just such a perfect example of friendship that people don't really think about or something that you would really want to share with somebody and be like, wow, when I was reading this passage about the topic of friendship community is just so cool and you just want to share that treasure. Mm-hmm. Well, friendship is a gift and it's also something that we have to work at and let me draw an analogy like to dating you know everyone fills out their profiles and tries to find the perfect compatible partner mm. and we know of many people that have searched and filled out their profiles and they can't find the right compatible person mm-hmm. that's just using natural ability to find who a lifelong you know, a companion might be. There's nothing like the Holy Spirit that leads us to the right people. Yeah. I have friendships in my life where I thought there's no way I would have been a friend to that person or yeah. that person would be a friend to me. Totally. I think we've all had the fun discussion of, hey, if we were both together in fourth grade or in sixth grade, would we yeah. have been friends? Right. You look back and you go, no way would have chosen each other. Right. Okay. So there's an aspect in which God is divinely orchestrating friendships. Yeah. And in that sense, it's a bit out of our control. So what do we do? Well, we posture ourselves to be in a place where God can bless us with those mm. divine friendships, mm. which is, of course, to be in a church setting, mm. you know, in the context of this discussion. Right. If you're not part of a church and you keep pining <laughs> for having a friend, well, yeah. you're not even putting yourself in position to be blessed, right? Yeah. Billy Graham is not going to call you up on the phone and say, hey, right. can you be my friend? Right. That is just not going to happen. Right. So that's sort of the and, – and God is so vested in providing a community for you. That's and right. he's vested in providing a f- good friends for you mm-hmm. to know that that is moving silently in the background. His mm-hmm. invisible hand is working uh, to do that. Another thing is that everyone has a different picture and a different expectation of what a friend should be. There are some people who only want one or two friends, and they're they're done. I fall into that category. Okay. They, they only want one or two friends, and then they're happy. Yeah. And there's others that are like they need a large friend group. So there's a self awareness that you have to have. So in your case, Matt, if you have one or two friends, you're just happy as could be. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but there's yeah. other people. There's other people's like they're still looking for more. Their group is not big enough. And there's a slight danger in having your group that small. It's sort of putting (laughs) eggs in one basket. Yeah. Right? (laughs) And you don't want those one or two people to feel like, like, oh my gosh, if if somehow I exited their their chapter right now, they're going to fall apart. Yeah. You know, which which falls into (laughs) codependence and even idolatry. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, but I'm just saying in the natural sense, Yep. There are people who don't need a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. And so if they go to a church of, let's say, two, three hundred people, they find one or two people and they're happy. Yeah. Actually, every single person's impression of church comes down to maybe just 20 or 30 people. Yeah. That's it. it it's not the Absolutely. thousand people. It's the 20 or 30 people that they relate to. Yep. Whether it's a service capacity or whether it's a friendship capacity. So just finding those 20 or 30 people... Yeah. In one sense, is the key to, to the bigger question. Right. 
Um, and then I guess I just would reiterate the idea that we have to initiate, we have to be a friend to others. Yeah. And, and God will see that and reward that mm-hmm. giving out. Yep. In that sense, you can't outgive God. Right. So those would be maybe a couple of themes I'd just touch on. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Um, I think that paints a good picture of what good friendships look like. Um, I think even to ground even more, I would love to like just open to um, maybe Jonathan and David mm-hmm. or to what maybe there's another passage that mm-hmm. um, that you think really exemplifies friendship and just talk about like what are some qualities of being a good friend from a biblical stance, like directly from the word, like with verses, because I think that helps to kind of come back to, it's like, all right, if I'm going to get something away from this podcast, like I can go back to this verse and I can read this verse and I can remember, okay, like this is something that I can work on and something that can be pretty practical. Yeah. So let's take, um, David and Jonathan, the picture of David and Jonathan, and why is it so powerful? First of all, it illustrates what I was saying earlier, that there's the aspect of divine orchestration. Yeah. God brought David and Jonathan into each other's lives in a very unusual scenario. (laughs) Very unusual. So David was serving Jonathan's father. Yeah. It wasn't like they were childhood friends that grew up together playing in the fields. Yeah. Right. I mean, there was a very adversarial situation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> on one hand, King Saul loved David. On the other hand, he tried to kill him. Yeah. And it's in that context that Dave, or Jonathan, mm-hmm. the son of King Saul, meets David. And it says their souls were knit together. There's that divine connection yeah. that happened independent of compatibility studies. Mm-hmm. Did they get to know each other <laughs> through going out to eat? They right. just, bingo, there was a kindred spirit. Right. But... What was it, once that kindred spirit was established, I would say the number one thing about friendships that is so enduring and so powerful is loyalty. Mm. In that you are loyal to someone through thick and thin, you can be separated from them for a long time, and there is a sense of that person still cares for me, still thinks Mm -hmm. about me, still is loyal to me. Um, And the reason why I, I, I call out loyalty is because Again, we are so fickle <laughs> yeah. about our relationships yeah. that we drop people. Oh, they weren't as good as I thought they were going to be. Right. Or the way they communicate or they irritate me or I didn't find out this about that. There's no loyalty. Yeah. It's all based around one's own preferences and just dropping them because they didn't fit what you like. Right. And like God taught me this again when I was in college I had the un- we had a lottery system when I was in college for the rooms that you were able to the rooms that you were to be placed into. Yeah. And I had been placed into by lottery the same room two years in a row. Wow. And <laughs> that's like so unusual that that yeah. could happen and yeah. actually I got famous because like oh you're the guy who drew into the exact same room. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> so that happened my sophomore and junior year. By the time I got to senior year the school I went to, which was Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota, allowed seniors to go off campus. Mm. To and, and I was couldn't wait for my senior year because I got into this little dinky dorm <laughs> place. Yeah, and so I was so thrilled to exercise my senior privileges. Yeah, so I'm looking into an off-campus home. It was going to be great, five minutes away from campus, mm-hmm. and one of the most well-known. And I would say almost well-known, lonely, rejected figures on campus. Wow. Came up to me and said, can I please room with you? Yeah. And it was a huge blow to me (laughs) because I was excited to live in a completely new scenario with people that I really enjoyed. And now this person came up to me and asked. And I could have just... Said no. I, I mean, in my mind, thinking, well, I would never do that. Right. But I felt like I needed to pray that through. Yeah. And to my utter dismay, God said, "I want you to room with him." <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, 
I just wrestled with it yeah. and I tried to finagle my way out of it. Right. So I had already picked out a roommate. It was for two people to go into this apartment. Yeah. And I said, okay, I'll be able to get out of it because I'll go to the landlord <laughs> and I'll say, hey, I want a third person, <laughs> but you've never had three people, right? right? So then I have a good out. Right, right. Again, to my dismay, the the landlady said, oh, that's no problem. You can have a third person if <laughs> yeah, you want. Yeah. So my excuse was taken away. Right. And I felt very embarrassed because I knew I was trying to <laughs> finagle out of it. Right. So I wrestled in prayer with it. And finally, yeah. I just surrendered. I right. said, okay, I need to do this. Yeah. And so when I told this particular um, fellow that, you know, I... Yeah, we'll, we'll take you in as a third roommate. Yeah. He was just over the moon. Wow. At that moment, my yeah. heart completely shifted. Wow. It's like, this guy's so happy. Yeah. That someone accepts him. Yeah. And that he gets to be off campus. Right. And something came into my heart about unconditional love. Wow. Which then translated into loyalty. Wow. And I actually get choked up thinking about it right now because I absolutely had no desire for this guy right but then when i entered into it yeah all of a sudden this rush of love wow and commitment came into him yeah came into me yeah for him yeah and it's almost like he was like a best friend i began right couldn't be concerned about him very cool. with his schoolwork yeah if he wasn't home he right. had a lot of eclectic habits so he was a geology major yeah he'd go without sandals he'd wear shorts he just he was always like in this rock climbing, <laughs> earthy mode. Right, right. And he would, and he had sort of this obsessive compulsive behavior where right. he would study for two or three days straight and not eat. Wow. So he had all these different That's things. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. And it's weird to say it now because I was yeah. like 21 years old. Right. But I had like this mom's heart for him. It's like, yeah. are you eating okay? What are yeah. you doing? Are you yeah. taking care of yourself? Whereas yeah. before I could not have cared less about it. Right. So there was a loyalty right. and a care that entered into my heart. Yeah. And from that moment on, like, we just became best of friends. Right. So I think that that loyalty is kind of a covenant commitment mm -hmm. that we just don't see in relationships. Now, we, we're not called to that level of depth for with every single person that we meet. Yeah. But I just think that when you meet someone that understands the value and the characteristic of loyalty and commitment it's so rare yeah it's so rare yep so that that was my thought yeah. on, on no. friendship yeah i think I, there's verses that say you know a friend sticks closer than a brother <clears throat> right and, and from proverbs yes but since you brought up the whole jonathan and david thing i wanted to just speak to that that little aspect yeah absolutely um for those listening, if you want to read more about the passage, it is 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18 verse 1 specifically is where it says, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Um, but of course, the verse, the chapters beforehand and the chapters after really paint that, uh, that, that picture. Yeah, I think that is a, that is, that's a story that I have heard from you, but not in that detail. Um, and I think... Again, it, it just relates back to the importance of posturing yourself before God and saying, okay, Lord, like, this is, this is outside of my preference. I do not want to do this, but I love you enough to lay down my own heart and say, okay, if you want me to do this, I'm going to be obedient. And that's when that grace came in. Right. And yeah, I just think that that kind of posture is quite rare unfortunately. Um, and it's something that I absolutely need to work on. Um, but yeah, I think that is just, a, it's just such a cool picture of what it means to be loyal, what it means to like literally put God at the center of your friendships mm -hmm. and of your time. And in, in many cases, it's kind of a radical picture of obedience in the sense that like with your, when you're rooming with somebody, you're losing so much of your quote unquote freedom and your own time to rest. And like, y it is required that you have that grace from the God grace from God, because if you do it on your own strength, you will fail and you will snap at him and it'll be 10 times worse, worse for him and worse for you. And so, yeah, like <laughs> I think there is a, 
I think that uh, the grace from God is, is really the secret sauce and cannot be done on your own strength. Right. I think so many, I think in some cases, people just kind of try to white knuckle their way into it and be like, okay, like, I'm going to be merciful now and just go out. Right. And then they fall short because it was never on them to have that kind of mercy. Um, it has to come from the Lord. Um, yeah, I... I can share some of my experience just with friendship and at university just because um, I think I would say it's kind of more on the, uh, I would say a larger group of people kind of maybe go through something similar as me. Um, So I went to University of Minnesota and this was, I had no one at University of Minnesota. I didn't know anybody. And I was coming obviously from Vancouver, British Columbia. And so it took a very long time for me to really find the community I sought. I prayed so much for a Christian community. I prayed so much for a group of guys specifically that I could knit myself, if I'm going to use the specific phrase from the word, Mm -hmm. uh, knit myself to because I had very deep friendships back in Vancouver and that's what I was I was looking for, and I think looking back in some ways, it was a little unhealthy the way that I was looking for friendships, but I would cry out. So it was a daily prayer and it was like, God, like I need people that can pour into me. I need people that I can pour into. Like I need people that I can laugh with and do stupid stuff with in university. And it, it took a year and a half before I found guys that... I really, really wanted to be with and laugh with and connected with, which at this point are my roommates. But um, it's in terms of timeline. At first, I was with a um, an Asian American ministry where it was just a completely lopsided ratio from girls to guys. I think it was like 14 girls to two guys, and I was one of those two guys. And so it was like, sure, like you can have, you can be friends with girls, right? And it's a whole nother conversation, but there is, there's a certain like level of depth that I could not go to with these girls because obviously you don't want to have the wrong impression or you don't want to confuse anything. And so I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and ultimately ended up leaving that ministry in part because of uh, that community, but also just because I felt that witness from the Lord to say, okay, like it's time to move on. Um, there, are all, there are, of course, a lot of other factors that went into that decision, um, partly because of um, just where I felt like God was leading me, but that overarching idea of obedience was what led me to move to the ministry that I ended with, which was Chi Alpha. And that's really where I found the guys that I could laugh with, guys that I could do Christian life with, that could keep me accountable. And I think oftentimes when we were reading the Bible, there is a, we kind of skip over time duration. Like when I read that Joseph was in prison for like years and years, it's kind of like a sentence that you read, but that's something that oftentimes like these prayers take years they take months they take Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. and i think that's something that i think that is a practice that has been lost is really laying before god your heart for extended periods of time Mm -hmm. and not being like okay this didn't happen tomorrow and or this didn't happen today and i've been praying since last week god you're not hearing me Mm -hmm. when it's like no like this is something that is a it's worth pressing in for and B, like, it's, this is a picture of faith almost. It's like, God, I know that this isn't happening this, at this moment, but I know that you're working. Mm-hmm. And it's so, so difficult to put yourself in that position because it seems like there's no progress being made. Mm-hmm. But I can say from my own personal experience that, yes, God is working. God hears you. God knows how to get your attention. I think sometimes it's like, is God... It's just so, there's like no signs, quote unquote, I guess, that God is hearing that he's working, but I can absolutely tell you that he is. And so, yeah, I think having all that to say is I think there's a level of persistence 
in prayer and posturing yourself before God that um, is so, so essential in looking for community and don't stop praying for it or don't let a substitute take that place because number one, it will be detrimental to you. And number two, like it is so, so worth that blessing and praying into it and pressing into it. Um, yeah. No, I, that's great. It taught me some things or what you said and triggered some things for me in the, in the, in the area of decision-making. You know, there's a famous proverb that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Yeah. <clears throat> and the reason why the heart gets sick is because we have a certain expectation of when something will be fulfilled. Yes. And American culture is probably one of the fastest go-go cultures on planet Earth. Yes. So we are habituated into that. We're conditioned into that. And we unconsciously project that onto how God does things and the timing of how he does things. Yes. But God is not speeding up the clock for American Christians, <laughs> yeah. and he is not going to change his timing Yes, because his view is from eternity to eternity. Praise God for that. Right. Yes. Amen. <laughs> I completely agree. I'm, I'm glad that God doesn't give in to my temper tantrums. Yes. I say that on a regular basis because if he did, I would not develop the maturity that yes. I need to have. Yes. And part of maturity just comes from literally waiting. Yes. <clears throat> so... You know, to me, there was. Uh, I'm just pulling out a lesson that from what you just shared, right? About seeking God, making decisions, and you know, the person that I want to marry is not coming. I've been praying for three months, <laughs> right? You know, or I'm seeking, I'm seeking, yeah, um, God a career, for a career job. thing, yeah. and it's not happening. Yeah. Well, I have stories in my own life where God's delay was so crucial, right? To wow miracles yep. and him sovereignly working yep. and had i tried to do something in my own strength it mm -hmm. would have just gone really awry yeah yeah what's the what's the address or verse look up for hope deferred makes the heart sick uh yes it's in proverbs let me just do a quick i don't have the address right off the top of my head but um i will look it up for you here yes <clears throat> mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it's Proverbs thirteen twelve. Proverbs thirteen twelve. I'm just flipping there right now. Mm -hmm. Proverbs thirteen verses twelve. Yeah, hope deferred makes the heart sick, and I actually have it started because obviously, my dad knows the story, and he's been a part of the journey that I was on. So this is a, a verse that has been shared to me. But yeah, what great, great uh, verse to come back to and. It, it even just kind of like speaks to your heart and says like, yeah, like this is a picture of like God hears you. Like God sees this. Um, Completely. And <clears throat> let me just highlight that part B <clears throat> of this verse is the happy ending. <laughs> Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Yeah. Oh my goodness. When yeah. God meets a desire of your heart on mm. his timetable, wow. there's nothing more sweet than that. Yep. It just goes right to your inner bone marrow yes. and just gratefulness wells up within you. Yes. Because somehow you hung on long enough yeah. for God to answer you in a God way. Right. And that becomes part of your testimony. That becomes part of how you know God. Totally. That becomes part of how he becomes reality to you. And he's yes. not a concept anymore. Yep. Like you have something in your own walk with the lord yes that illustrates his goodness yep so yeah part b there is a very important so, so conclusion important. <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally totally yeah um yeah i think i think just through this whole conversation um the one common thread that has just been so prevalent is the importance of posturing yourself in prayer and posturing yourself laying down your heart before god listening to to him being obedient and i think that's really what the big takeaway of this would be mm. um, like if we learn anything it's like okay when you look at a community you posture yourself before god you pray and you don't stop praying <laughs> until god moves until god speaks mm -hmm. and i think that is a great way to i think that that also makes it super practical I am extremely pragmatic. Pragmatic is the right word, yeah. Practical, yeah. Pragmatic. yeah. And 
I think that makes it super easy to have a takeaway as like, okay, like if this is something that you are struggling with, if this is something that you are working through, this is encouragement. Like keep praying, keep pressing on. God hears you. God knows your heart and just keep bringing it before God. Keep being, um, putting yourself in that place before God. Um, and he will answer. He does hear you. He does see you. He does love you. Um, so yeah, I would just encourage you to continue to press on and continue to pray. Yeah. Maybe just uh, a closing verse along that line, Matt, is Matthew six thirty three, mm-hmm. which is one of the most famous verses in the Bible yep. up there with John three sixteen. Yeah. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. That's right. So God is saying the fullness of my kingdom is here for you. Yeah. And if we put our priority and our heart and aim it towards him, mm-hmm. we don't have to worry about anything else. Yeah. And that can sound kind of trite, but it, <laughs> it's not meant to be trite. Right. And I would encourage everyone to make this verse a reality. Yeah. Actually, Matthew 6.33 is another way. It's a paraphrase of Luke 9.23 which is, if any man comes after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Wow. So it's another way to talk about lordship. It's another way to talk about being a a fervent follower of Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and the life that proceeds from that following. Yeah. So another verse, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. So what's so important about that verse? The word way Mm -hmm. is in front of truth. Wow. We want to know the truth before we follow. Mm-hmm. But God says, if you obey me first, mm-hmm. you will come into understanding. That's right. And then out of understanding comes life. Yeah. So it, it, that verse talks about letting go of our control. Yeah. Letting God be in control. Yeah. And watch out because he will so exceed what you can think or imagine. That's right. Praise God. Praise God. Um, I would love to just end in prayer. And yeah. And uh, yeah. It'd be the end of podcast one. Okay. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. I thank you for this conversation that I get to have with my dad. Um, Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it encourages us and nourishes us. Um, Father, as we bring our heart before you, our desires, um, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us, minister to those that are listening. Um, Father, I just pray that those that may be struggling or they feel like they've been praying for so long, but they don't see you. I just pray that you would give them that rest, Father, that you would bring them um, just manna even, God, Mm -hmm. um, where you touch their heart, that you nourish them, you show them some sign that you do hear and you do love them and care for them and that um, you do see them, but it's just perfectly in your timing. Mm -hmm. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. I just pray that you would bless those that are listening, bless my dad. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.